You are listening to the final sermon in our From Shadow to Substance series, taught at Hocassin Baptist Church in the spring of 2008. Today's message begins with a reading from Hebrews 13, and will conclude with a reading of the ten therefores that have been studied during the course of this sermon series. other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all.
Final teaching from our From Shadow to Substance series from the book of Hebrews. And if you've been with us for even some part of this series, you have hopefully absorbed from whatever part you are here for the centrality of the person and work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the substance that everything else points to, according to Hebrews. The Old Testament sacrifices, the systems, The priesthood, the temple, they all point to Jesus. They were all shadows or patterns of Jesus. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, we've been encouraged, look to Jesus, focus on Jesus, worship Jesus. Roy Hessian, uh, a writer who wrote some on Hebrews, gives us this imagery to help us understand this idea, the imagery of a, imagine a play, and that you're waiting for the main character, the main actor, to come on the scene. And for dramatic effect, what they've done is that while the main actor is still off stage, they've shined a light behind him so that the, the, the silhouette or shadow of this main character spreads out onto the stage prior to the character coming in. And so you as an audience are fixated upon the shadow, upon the dramatic entry that you're awaiting. Because you can see the shape of the actor right off stage and you know that he's going to enter. But an interesting thing happens once he steps on stage. You as an audience are no longer interested in the shadow. Because once the actor arrives, you give your attention to the actor and not the shadow. And the illustration reminds us that once Jesus has come onto the stage, we give our attention to him and not to the shadow. We give our attention to the substance. Let me remind you, at the very beginning of our series, way back in March, I brought to you my multi-million dollar painting, my drawing here, my, my own Picasso of Don Quixote. Remember, I used the illustration that this is just a copy of the real Picasso. It's worth Actually, the frame, that I, this frame, this plastic frame, that costs $16. So the frame is actually worth more than the actual picture inside of it. What a pity it would be were I to have the real Picasso and get rid of it because, no, no, I don't need the real one. I have this one. You would never do that. You would never get rid of the original in favor of the copy. You'd never get rid of the original in favor of the pattern. You never give away the substance in favor of the shadow. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, the the writer's been arguing for 12 chapters, argument after argument, therefore after therefore, application after application. He has been reminding us, do not chase shadows when you have the substance of Jesus. Once you have understood Jesus, pursue Jesus. Well, in chapter 13, the writer's going to wrap up his discussion. And he doesn't do so with any more long arguments, but rather, as you heard a moment ago, a series, at least in the first half of the chapter, which is what we're going to look at, a series of shorter exhortations or encouragements about what it means to, to live 
for Jesus? What does it mean to be living a life following the substance of Christ? So he gives his listeners encouragements of how to live and how to act as we continue on our pilgrimage to the heavenly city, to use a phrase from chapter 12. And so I just want to make a few comments about some of the encouragements that the writer gives. And these should serve us as reminders of what it means to be a Christian. What should it look like in our lives that we follow the substance of Christ? And so it starts in verse 1, appropriately enough, with an encouragement to love. Love is presented as an overarching characteristic that should describe us as a Christian community. Brotherly love should be a core aspect of how we are identified. They'll know who we are because of our love. And the writer moves on to hospitality. And he couples this encouragement to practice hospitality with this mysterious but exciting statement that in practicing hospitality, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. And so showing hospitality is a way to act selflessly. At the root of hospitality is selflessness. Hospitality works against selfishness. And so to the encouragement to love, we have the encouragement to be selfless. Verse 3 adds compassion and care to the list. Remember the prisoners. Remember those who are suffering. Care for them as if you yourselves were suffering. Care for those who are hurting as if you yourselves are hurting. And so we have Christian compassion added to the list. And then in verse 4, it says marriage should be honored by all. Another characteristic of the Christian community is purity. And I love how it says marriage should be honored by all. So it's not just an encouragement for those of you who are married. It is an encouragement for you. But it's an encouragement for those who are not married as well. If you are a believer, you are expected to live a life of purity, honoring the relationship between a husband and wife. Husband and wife. The marriage bed should be kept pure by all. Unmarried and married alike. And so in these few short words, in these few short verses, the writer sort of rattled off some characteristics that should define us as Christians. Love, selfless, compassionate, pure. And then he adds to that in verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. One of the real challenges of this particular statement is that it applies to all of you. Now, some of you, your knee-jerk reaction might be, you know, I don't have any money. So I'm sort of free from the uh, requirement here. Or maybe you even say, you know, Lord, I'm going to make a prayer. Lord, test me in this way. Lord, I'm ready to receive lots of money to show you that I don't love it. We've been talking. But here's the catch. Here's the rub. Here's the reality of the temptation of wealth. You can love money if you don't have it. And you can love money if you do. Because many times, if you don't have much money, you can be discontent with the little you have, and you long for more. 
But if you do have money, you can be discontent with what you have, and you can long for more. Surveys have been done asking different people at different socioeconomic levels how much more money would they need to be happy. And across the board, no matter what level they're at, they always ask for more. Very rare is the person that says, oh no, I've got plenty. Matter of fact, I'm looking to get rid of some. (laughs) So the fact of the matter is, having more money doesn't necessarily relieve us from this admonition to be content and to keep ourselves from the love of money. But along with this admonition is an encouragement at the end of verse 5. And it's one of the more popular verses from Hebrews. But it's actually a quote from Deuteronomy that says this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, I've heard that verse before. I've heard it from Hebrews. But it wasn't until I was putting together this message that the context of it struck me. He says, Be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And what this has done for me is it has elevated the idea of contentment to a higher level in my life. Because for some reason, and maybe it's just me, but for some reason I always heard the word contentment and I sort of applied it to children. You know, know, children, you ought to be content with your toys. Stop complaining about what you have. Be content. And yet now I realize that a lack of contentment shows a lack of trust in the presence and provision of God. If I am not content, then I show a lack of faith that God's going to care for me. And so the writer of Hebrews packages this this encouragement to be content with this truth about the presence of God in our lives. and says, be content because God will never leave you. And you can be confident, following in verse 6, that the Lord is your helper. You do not need to be afraid. Discontentment can be devastating to our faith. And so we are encouraged to be content. You may have heard it said that cleanliness is next to godliness. Have you heard this before? Cleanliness is next to godliness? It's not in the Bible. Just for the record. So don't, don't be misquoting it. Don't be looking for it in, back in Isaiah or something. It's not there. I don't know where it comes from. But I can tell you this. It might, it might be a nice phrase in helping your kid get a bath. Get a bath. Cleanliness is next to godliness. But 1 Timothy actually says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so perhaps the saying should be, contentment is next to godliness. Well, the writer has a few more exhortations for us. He says in verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Church leaders or Christian leaders are set up to be respected. They hold the extra responsibility for the guidance and care of their people. And so I think the writer is, excuse me, I think the writer is advocating a peacefulness in the community of Christ, a unity between those who lead and those who follow in the the Christian community, unlike we might see in other contexts. And so we're encouraged to have peacefulness between those who lead and those who are led. And finally, to wrap up, Look in verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Now, the particular context for this audience would have had to do with ceremonial uh, 
ceremonial practices, sacrifices, temple, priesthood, all of those kinds of things. However, I have an inkling that the strange teachings that you are going to face today probably do not have to do with giving sacrifices. Most of you are not going to be drawn into some strange teaching that requires you to have a lamb every time you come to church. But there is a common trend to strange teachings. If you remember back, the writer did not just throw out the old sacrificial system. He saw the value of it because it pointed to Christ. So there was a lot of value in the old sacrificial system. But what he noted was, if you remember, that it was insufficient or inadequate for dealing with sin. Remember that the writer said, the blood of sheep and goats cannot take away sin. And what I've discovered is that throughout the history of time, since Christ came to earth and shared the truth, died, rose again, and went to heaven, that every strange teaching that we come across today, every alternative spirituality, every new theology, that all of them have the same flaw. They simply do not adequately deal with sin. So be it a New Age theology, or Oprah theology, or atheism, or angel worship, or Scientology, or some self-homemade, this is what I believe because I put it together in my own head, spirituality, none of them deal with the fact that we are fallen, sinful, depraved people who need help from outside ourselves. Only Christianity does that. And again and again, throughout the book of Hebrews, we've been reminded of this. We need Jesus. But the very nature of this book reminds us that not just do those who understand Jesus need Jesus, but the world needs Jesus. Those who hold to these strange teachings need to hear the truth about Jesus. Which brings us to sort of a weird conflict that I feel like most Christians have. And the weird conflict is that though we believe all these things about Jesus, we get real reticent or real uh, shaky when it comes to sharing that truth with others. And it's a little strange to try to figure out why that's the case. Think of it in a workplace. If you are in the workplace and a co-worker is doing something wrong, something that's going to hurt him or her and the company, what do you do as a co-worker? Well, you try to figure out a kind way to let them know that the way they're doing it is wrong. If you're a teacher or a mentor, then you spend lots of time telling people that, that they're, they're, they're trying, but uh, this is not actually right. It's wrong. If you're a parent, well, of course, as a parent, you generally have no trouble helping children understand that they're wrong. In all of these contexts, listen to this logic, because it will not make sense in any of these contexts. We don't look at that situation at work or with a child or with a student, and we don't say, you know what? The loving thing to do is to let them keep doing something wrong. Even though they think they're right, the loving thing to do is to let them continue in their wrongness. We would never say that. It doesn't even make sense. But yet somehow, when it comes to sharing our faith, that logic all of a sudden works for us. And it puts us in a very precarious situation. We sit around at 
a mom's group, or we sit around with a group of co-workers at lunch, and one of them says something like this, and I know that almost every one of you has heard it. They'll say something like, well, I kind of, you know, have a, a belief in my own kind of God. And I, I don't think it really matters what your belief in God is. Whatever you believe in, we're all going in the same place. The question is, what do you say? Chances are, 90% of the Christians, 90% of the time, say something like, huh, That's what we say. Oh, that's interesting. And my fear is by not helping them to understand the flaw, the fatal flaw of their theology, that we actually affirm their theology by our silence. When we go, huh, that's interesting, they walk away going, he thinks the same thing. He thinks I'm good to go. When in reality we know that there's literally a fatal flaw. And that is your self-styled theology doesn't deal with your sin. Only Jesus can deal with sin. And so throughout the, the book of Hebrews, again and again, you, possibly, you can't possibly have missed that the writer has said, Jesus is the only one who can come into our broken lives and heal us. Jesus is the only mediator between us and God. Jesus is the only high priest and right sacrifice. Jesus is the only one who can stand before us and before God, who is a consuming fire. And so not only must we not fall into strange teaching, I think the model of Hebrews encourages us to share the truth with others. Albeit in a loving way. But notice it sort of bookends this list. At the beginning it says we need to be loving, but at the end it says we need to be orthodox. We need to have truth. We need to not be carried away by strange teaching. So let's think about this, this list of characteristics that we should have as a Christian community. Loving, selfless, compassionate, pure, content, peaceful, and orthodox. It's a pretty good list pretty high standards, but a pretty accurate representation of what it means to follow Christ. And so when people think of Christian, when they hear the word Christian, they should think of loving, selfless, compassionate, pure, content, peaceful, and orthodox. Which means it should disturb us when in a recent survey of 16 to 29-year-olds who are asked to choose words that they most associated with Christianity, the two of the most common responses, two of the most popular responses, were judgmental and hypocritical. Friends, that is a major concern for us as Christians. Now, we might want to write it off and say, oh, that's just media. That's because of the media. And maybe it is, but the fact of the matter is, is that you are a Christian and you have a relationship with somebody who's not. And our goal should be that no matter what the media sells them, that because of their relationship with you, when they hear the word Christian, they think of pure, content, loving, selfless, orthodox, peaceful. Because we stem this tide of of, of this poor identity of Christianity by living Christian lives in front of our peers and our neighbors. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention for just a moment verse 8. 
It's a verse you're probably familiar with. You've probably heard before if you've been around Christian circles. So perhaps now you can know where it actually is in the Bible. It's one of those verses that I always seem to have to go, where is that? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know it's in there. Now you know, Hebrews 13, verse 8. And I think the encouragement that we're given here, when we hear that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is that the promises being made in the book of Hebrews continue on in our lives today. Even those who heard it originally in the, in the Hebrew community were probably already a generation from Christ. And so already they could have seen Christ as simply being a historical figure. But the writer says, no, he's still our mediator. He's still our sacrifice. He still sympathizes with our weaknesses. He still disciplines those he loves. Jesus still allows us to draw near to God. Let me give you a closing thought or two on this entire sermon series. I wrote this particular sermon, this closing one, while sitting out in the sun. It was a beautiful week, so I was sitting out in the sun, but it did start getting warm. The laptop started getting very warm on my lap, so I sought shade, and when I found some shade, the breeze was blowing, and I found myself being thankful for the shade, which is probably no surprise, but... As I was thinking about that, and as I was thankful for the shade, it dawned on me that I was thankful for the wrong thing. What I really should have been thankful for was the tree. Because with no tree, there would have been no shade. God has given us many, many, many good gifts. But all good gifts come from the Father, and all good gifts point us to Christ. And so anytime we find a worship of nature, or of relationships, or of prosperity, we know that what's happening is that the shadow is being worshipped instead of the substance. And so we as Christians, we see that all good things point us to Christ. And so we as a community of Christ, we see the shadows, but we worship the substance. God has spoken to us through His Son. Therefore, pay careful attention so that we do not drift away. We see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Therefore, fix your thoughts on Jesus. There remains then a Sabbath rest for God's people. Therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. We have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Therefore, hold firmly to the faith. Solid food is for the mature who have trained. Therefore, go on to maturity. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely. We have been made holy through Jesus Christ once and for all. Therefore, let us draw near to God. 
without faith it is impossible to see God. Therefore, let us run with perseverance the race marked out. Discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. You have come to the city of the living God. Therefore, be thankful and worship God. He is done for